Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So last night was episode 7 and episode 8 of ESPN's The Last Dance, right? The Michael Jordan documentary we've all been watching. And last night they talked about baseball. And Michael Jordan, as seen last night, or if you were alive in the 90s like I wasn't when Michael Jordan joined the Sox and then came back to basketball, he announced his comeback with two words. He just said, I'm back. That was all the press release said. And I was thinking about typing up a similar press release today, but I just I don't have the clout that Michael Jordan has, so I'll just explain it on air. That's what I'll do. I am back. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. We've been off the air for, I think, about six weeks. I've been killing time over on our sister station, WIZM. And politics is a different world. I'm sure a lot of uh, the listeners of WK2I also check out politics on WIZM with Rush and Hannity in the afternoon. Or maybe you listen to Lacrosse Talk AM with Mike Hayes or PM with Rick Solom, which is where I've been killing time talking to the callers and the texters over there and and talking state politics, national politics. It, it, It was a fascinating, a fascinating couple of weeks. That's that's the best way I have to put it. But I'm excited to be back over here. And we're going to find sports to talk about, damn it, and we're going to have fun doing it. I want to talk about baseball coming up at 5.30 today because, you know what? Baseball might actually be onto something. They might actually be close to returning, and close is relative. We're talking about a July 1st start date with the regular season. If everything goes according to plan, Major League Baseball is putting in this plan. They're discussing it tomorrow digitally between the union and the owners. We'll see how that goes. And we're going to talk about that more at 5.30. I want to talk about baseball, what a return might look like. Give you the details in case you've been too busy to read. Because I just, I hate reading plans. Like all the bullet points and all the, this is what we're going to do for games and scheduling and divisions and playoff format. Like it's boring. So I don't blame you if you haven't dug into the details. That's why we're going to talk about it coming up at 5.30. I want to start with the last dance. I figured much like... Mondays after a Packer game, we talk about the Packer game. I thought Mondays, for the time being, at least until next week, let's talk about the last dance. Because we have a lot of time and not a lot of sports to talk about. So I think it would be a mistake to just move past the last dance without talking about it a little bit. This has been a cultural phenomenon the last couple of weeks. And it couldn't have come at a better time, right? Just like Tiger King on Netflix couldn't have come at a better time. We're all stuck at home, nothing to watch, nothing to do. The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, if you haven't been watching, it centers around the last title run, the sixth championship, Phil Jackson's last year. But it also talks about all different sorts of points in Michael Jordan's career. So it's all-encompassing, but the center, the focus, is the Last Dance, which is why it's named such, if you haven't been watching. For me, this documentary has been all about perception. Now, some of you who were alive for Jordan's championship runs, or you saw him at North Carolina, you saw him at the Bulls, you saw him play baseball. I didn't see any of that. I was born in 98, so I came in just as MJ was going out, at least elite MJ. I know he came back to play with the Wizards, but I didn't get to experience all this. So I'm experiencing this for the first time. A lot of it I know, some of it I don't. To me, it's all about perception. Think back to before this documentary even started. This was about two weeks before it came out. Michael Jordan made a statement. He said, yeah, after people watch this, they're going to think I'm an a-hole. They're going to think I'm a jerk. And at the time, we all freaked out. Oh, my God, what's Michael Jordan going to do? What are they going to show in this doc? This is going to be incredible. We're going to see never-before-seen footage. We're going to hear stories that have never been told before. Oh, my God, this is going to be great. And Michael Jordan was preparing us for that. 
People are going to think I'm an a-hole. That's what he said weeks before the doc came out. Getting ready, prepping us to perceive this documentary. And getting, and getting us ready to perceive Michael Jordan, perhaps, in a new way. Two weeks into the documentary, after a couple episodes came out, Ken Burns, the, docu- the documentary maker, is there a term for that? Documentarist? Filmmaker? Comes out and says, this is, this is fake news, right? This is made by Michael Jordan. This is by his people. I have the quote right here. It was first quoted in Sports Illustrated. He said this, If you are there influencing the very fact of getting it made... It means certain aspects that you don't necessarily want in aren't going to be in, period. And that's not the way you do good journalism. And it's certainly not the way you do good history, my business. That was Ken Burns. He said, man, Michael Jordan produced this. He's got his fingers all over it. He decided when it was going to be put out, which couldn't have worked out better for Michael Jordan because I don't think he exactly planned for this documentary to be released during a pandemic when it was the only sporting thing that was going to be on, unless, of course, you count UFC or Korean baseball, which isn't everybody's thing. Ken Bird said, no, this is, this is Michael Jordan propaganda. It's not legit. Your perception, what you're seeing is false. It's all been about perception. And last night, we got another lesson in perception. Perception of our protagonist, of course, Michael Jordan, in this series. The last two weeks, so what would that be? Episodes 8, 7, 6, and 5. The last, the last two weeks. They've hit the tough stuff. They've hit the gambling They've hit him as a bad teammate. They had to cover that stuff. And of course they covered it in the middle because you don't want to start with that. You don't want to end with that. It's like, it's like a burger, right? If you put a slice of lettuce or a tomato on a burger, you're not putting it on the outside. You tuck it in between the meat patties and the bacon and the cheese and the buns. You hide it in there. And that's what Michael Jordan and the and director have done in this instance. They said, we'll, we'll do the bad teammate Michael Jordan and we'll do gambling and we'll do it in the middle. So it's not everybody's first sight at this documentary and it won't be the taste that gets left in their mouth. So let's talk about these two tougher episodes, these two tougher topics that they had to cover. You knew they were going to cover the gambling and Jordan as a bad teammate. I want to talk specifically about last night as a bad teammate because I think everybody's done the gambling thing. Everybody has their conspiracy theory and everybody has their opinion on gambling. And gambling now is much more accepted. It's almost funny. If you have the money to, to gamble obsessively, do it. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's fun to talk about. Back then, that wasn't the case. Right now, you have entire companies, Barstool, and their personalities are built on being degenerate gamblers. Back in the day, the the climate wasn't as kind to people who gambled away millions of dollars of money. And Michael Jordan got rolled for it. That's been talked about. I don't want to do that today. I want to talk about Michael Jordan as the bad teammate. And that's what was covered yesterday. Last night, we saw the story of Michael Jordan getting after Scott Burrell, just berating him in practice, just getting on his case. Jordan at one point joked, yeah, I I was trying to get him to fight me. I was trying to get a rouse out of him. He was just hounding him, hounding him every day of practice. And then, of course, we heard the Steve, Cor- the Steve Kerr story, which most of us know, right? We, we at least know the anecdote that Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr in practice. A lot of us, I didn't know the details. I didn't know that Steve Kerr actually gave him a shove first and the punch was a retaliation. And I didn't know that that point in practice was a bonding point for the two of them, something that they moved past and became better teammates because of it. I didn't know any of that, but I knew that Steve Kerr got, got socked in the eye. And that was all covered last night. And there were a couple really, really funny quotes. I loved the quote of Michael Jordan straight up asking on the practice floor, why do you keep effing up the play straight up at his teammate? There There's another clip uh, where he was near the bench during a practice and somebody was on the floor and he just yells across the court. He yells, shoot a layup, dumbass, which is, which is hilarious, right? I don't consider that to be bullying. I don't consider that to be mean-spirited. And I don't think his teammates do either, at least not now. I can't speak to what they thought in the 90s. 
But they all recalled this fondly. Will Purdue said, yeah, after time, you understand why he's doing what he's doing. You can wrap your mind around it. Scott Burrell, the guy who he berated and wouldn't, he wouldn't leave him alone. He said, look, Michael Jordan is the only one who can achieve his goals. His goal being the best ever. Michael Jordan's the only one who can achieve those goals, but he doesn't know that. And he forced me and all my teammates every day to get as close to that as possible. Recalling it fondly like it was a good thing. Scott Burrell, Will Purdue, just two examples. Steve Kerr told the punch story as well. He didn't really talk about it like a victim. He said, man, I went face-to-face with Jordan. I'm a competitor. I didn't want it. I didn't let him push me around. So Steve Kerr also talking about his perception of Michael Jordan in practice, but his was a little different. But Scott Burrell and Will Purdue were two really interesting instances. And you know what? It's okay that MJ was a jerk. MJ knows this. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put it on there. MJ knows that this doc is going to make him more popular than ever, by the way. This this whole idea, Michael Michael Jordan said, man, people are going to think I'm a jerk. No, we're not. You wouldn't put out a self-destructive documentary, especially right now when it's all we have to talk about. There's no way you'd do that. MJ, it's okay that he was a jerk. He knows it. And now I'm starting to realize it. Other people are starting to realize it as well. It's actually better that he was a jerk. It's perfect that he was a jerk. Have you noticed something as, as you've watched this? Or maybe if you were an NBA fan in the 90s, the late 80s, maybe it's something you can recall from your mind and you haven't needed to be reminded by this documentary. I'm learning through this doc for the first time. When you watch Michael Jordan highlights in film, doesn't he just look different? He's got an air to him. He almost hovers when he's walking across the floor. He just, you look at him and you go, oh my God. That's Michael Jordan. He has an aura. He looks different. So, of course, he acts different. Think, compare these names for a sec. Compare Michael Jordan to Will Perdue, Scott Burrell, and Bill Wennington. Now, I'm sure all those guys, those are nice guys. I've liked listening to Perdue and Burrell and Wennington. I think Wennington's been really funny, actually. But those guys aren't in the same stratosphere as Michael Jordan as basketball players. So, why the hell should we expect Michael Jordan to act like Will Perdue and Burrell and Bill Wennington. Of course he acts different in practice. It would have been weird if he would have tried to blend in and be one of the boys. It's okay that he was a jerk. Jordan separated himself from everyone else in every possible way. With his work ethic, with his competitiveness, with his tenacity, even with his gambling. He set himself apart. He was different. He was Michael freaking Jordan. And and to expect him to step on a practice floor... And to be buddy-buddy with Will Purdue? Come on. It's not realistic. It would have been weirder had he not been a jerk. And Michael Jordan knows that. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been in the dock. He produced this dock. He decided when it comes out. That's why Ken Burns has beef with it. Spoiler alert to Ken Burns. This country loves Michael Jordan a lot more than they like you. So we're going to take Mike's side. We're going to take Mike's side. And what we love the most and what I love the most is Michael Jordan never, ever apologizes for anything in this dock. He explains himself. He might need to clarify something. But he never apologizes. He said, you don't like it? Fine. That's fine. Which I think our culture has lost a little bit, right? I feel like we always need to agree or find some sort of common ground. That's not the the case. Michael Jordan is an old school soul. And it comes through in these interviews where he never apologized for anything. Compare him to Isaiah Thomas, who multiple times... In the eight episodes we've watched so far, has said, well, if I could go back and do it differently, or knowing what I know now, Scotty Pippen was doing it. He talked about his foot surgery, missing the start of the, the, the season. He said, well, I'd go back and do it differently now. 
or talking about not wanting to come in on the final play when Tony Kukoc hit the shot in that Knicks series. Scottie Pippen talking about, well, if I could go do it differently, blah, 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 him and Han. Gary Payton, he did the same thing last night. We saw him, man, if I could have guarded Jordan from game one, things would have been different. If I could go back and change it, I would. And then Reggie Miller, again last night, teasing the next episode, the finale coming up this weekend. Reggie Miller saying, man, we were the better team. Looking back, we were better. Everybody's saying, everybody's apologizing, saying if this would have been different, if that would have been different. Michael Jordan hasn't done an ounce of that. Said this is the way it was. If you don't like it, fine. And he moves on. And that's why we love Michael Jordan. And that's why we love this doc. We love it. Of course people aren't going to think Michael Jordan's an a-hole. If he, if, if he truly thought that this documentary would look differently, right? It, it, he's not going to put out a self-destructive documentary. This is a PR piece. And it's fine. We don't need to get on our high horse about it. It's fine. Coming up next, I want to continue to talk about this documentary in a little bit of a bigger picture. I want to talk about why we love this doc so much outside of Michael Jordan. A little bit of a big picture idea. And I talked about this with Dave Carney when I joined him. Uh, I think it was last Monday. I joined him for the G-Spot. Monday, Wednesdays, 820. I joined Dave Carney in the morning. This is something we talked about last week. I also want to talk about baseball coming up at 530 because of all the sports right now, NBA, MLB, NFL, we're closest to having baseball. It's actually starting to feel legit, and I haven't felt that way in months. We'll talk about all that. The Wisco Sports Show finally back here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am lucky enough to be back hosting. Six or seven weeks off, I lost count. I've been doing politics over on our sister station, WIZM. And I was talking to the host of Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom, right before the show today. And he said, I'm having the mayor on, and I'm going to ask him who he thinks better. Late 80s Celtics, or of course the Bulls that are currently being documented by The Last Dance. His Mayor Cabot, he's a big like 80s, 90s basketball guy. I've learned a lot about politicians, both local and state. And I've learned a little bit about national politics, too, in my time over on Wisdom. But I guess the mayor is taking the Celtics. So if you need another reason to love your mayor, there you go. If you need another reason to vote him out, it's because he likes the Celtics over Jordan's Bulls. There you go. That's that's your dose of politics for the day. We are talking about the last dance from last night, and and I, we're going to talk baseball coming up in 10 minutes. We got a lot of time to talk baseball today. We got a lot of time to cover absolutely everything because we have no live sports on right now. And And not having live sports, I think, has slightly exposed us. I don't know if that's the right word. But it's, it's, it's pointed something out to me about us, about our culture. And I talked about this with Dave Carney last Monday, 820, for one of my two weekly G-Spot appearances on the Dave Carney Morning Show. We talked about this last Monday. We miss appointment television. We miss it. We aren't explicitly saying it. We might not even want to admit it, but we miss it. And this is something that's been growing and growing and growing for years but is now only becoming obvious to me. And if you look around, I bet it will become obvious to you as well. We miss appointment TV. I I mean, appointment TV by every Thursday night, sitting down at 7 o'clock to watch that sitcom or to watch how last week's episode of your favorite thriller resumes. Right? Like, I don't don't remember, and I don't want to be wrong. I don't know what night Seinfeld was on in the 90s when Seinfeld was in its heyday, but think back to that. Right? Where you look forward to it all day and then you come to work the next day and you gather with your coworkers to talk about it. That's appointment TV. 
We've moved away from appointment TV in my lifetime. I, I mean, think of people my age who were born around the year 2000. I was born slightly before. The change that we have seen with telephone technology, the advent and the progression of cell phones to the point now where we can't imagine life without them. And I know I love to get talked down to by some of my older coworkers, but there was a time, elementary school, early middle school, where I would call my friends on the house phone and I would say, hello, Mr. and Mrs. XYZ is my friend Chase home. Is my friend Joe home? Can I talk to them? I've seen a lot of change in my life. Television is another great example. I think step one of moving away from appointment TV was DVR. We were still watching cable TV and we were still doing it on a weekly schedule, but we were doing it on our own time and we certainly weren't watching commercials. It's not like we were DVRing an entire season and then coming back to it to watch it all at once. No, we would probably DVR a show that was on on Thursday, and we'd maybe watch it on Friday night or Saturday afternoon. We were still watching cable, but we were watching it on our own time. Then step number two, now everybody's cord cutting. Everybody's getting rid of cable. Now we can watch whatever we want, whenever we want, and as fast as we want. We don't have to wait for new episodes to be dropped. I can go watch Breaking Bad start to finish on Netflix right now with no structure, with no time limit, right? I can just go especially right now in quarantine. Whatever we want, whenever we want, as fast as we want. I wonder if there's another step. I wonder how television can change further moving forward. Because really, right now, it is stripped down to the studs. There are two live events that you need to watch live. Sports and politics. That's about it. I don't see how television gets stripped down further. But then again, I probably felt the same way four years ago, five years ago. And I probably felt the same way about cell phones. I'm like, man, how can this get any better? Man, was I wrong. I don't know what comes next. But really all we have left for appointment TV is sports and politics. And when we got a DVR or when we got rid of cable, like that became our new television reality. Think back to when you first got your DVR. Could you Once you had that DVR, could you ever imagine going back? Oh, you're telling me I actually got a... I actually got to get home on Thursday night by 7, and I need to be on my couch ready to go, and I have to watch commercials? Hell, hell no. Absolutely not. Once you had that DVR, that was your reality. There was no going back. And now with Netflix and Hulu, doesn't it actually seem like labor to turn on a physical TV? And you might be like, Grant, you are the biggest millennial. You just don't want to do work. Well, Okay, partly, but think about it for a sec. I'm serious. I can pull up Netflix on my phone. And with one click, I can connect it to my TV. Whereas if I want to watch cable, I got to turn the TV on. I got to make sure the cable box is turned on, which means I I probably have two remotes. And then I got to switch through channels. I got to open up the guide, which takes a sec. I got to scroll through, see what's on. Oh, it's, it's, you know, 528. That means an episode's about to end. I might as well wait three minutes. It takes forever. It feels like labor. And if that... That cable box isn't plugged into the right HDMI port. Well, now we got to search which one's it in, or I got to stick my head behind the TV. It's labor. I could never feel like I could go back to cable after switching to a streaming service. Just like I could never go back to live TV after I got a DVR. We've been changing these progressions, these changes as we moved away from appointment TV. And along the way, somewhere, I don't know exactly, I don't think there was a clear point where it happened, but it did happen over the years. We lost the social experience of gathering for a live premiere or a live event at a specific time. We all, like, when new shows come out, Dave, it's on FX, the first season just ended, it's one of my favorite shows I've ever watched, it got renewed for season two, I don't mean to make this PR about my favorite show, but the season just wrapped up, and new episodes dropped on Hulu every Wednesday night, and we'd watch them Wednesday night or Thursday morning, 
But we didn't watch them at 7 p.m. Wednesday night all at the same time together. Right? We would watch it when we got to it. We missed the social experience of gathering live for a premiere of a show or an event at a specific time. This way we have something to look forward to. We have something to talk about together. And by the way, since appointment TV was at its heyday, remember remember the expression water cooler shows? Right, the shows that you would gather around at work the next day to talk about. Hasn't our social network gotten better since then? We now have our own water cooler on our phone, and it's 24-7, and nothing against my coworkers or your coworkers, but they're actually people I want to follow and talk to and like. And I'm, and I'm kidding because I like my coworkers. But if I want to watch an NBA game, I can go on Twitter and open up my list of NBA people I follow and just consume. Well, this is what Woj has to say. This is what Zach Lowe has to say. This is what Dave Carney has to say. We used to have to gather around a water cooler to do that. Now we can do it on our phone. So I think appointment TV now would be better than ever. Sports are currently probably 80% of our total appointment TV. And I don't want to speak for you because every individual and every family, especially sometimes it varies by family, have shows that you sit down and watch together. I know one of my roommates does not miss Survivor. I think that's on Tuesday or Wednesday. I think Wednesday. I'm not sure. Every week he's on the couch. It's actually kind of funny because nobody does that anymore. So I always get a little bit of a chuckle. There are people who watch The Voice, of course, and American Idol. The Bachelor is a big one. But for me, and I can only assume that a lot of our listeners are are similar to me, sports are like 80, 90% of our appointment TV. And currently, The Last Dance is filling all of that. What would normally right now be baseball, NBA. We would have wrapped up with college basketball, but that would have been going too. The Last Dance is filling all of that. And it's a big void. And that's why if you go on social media, you can see ESPN writing blogs about the last dance, right? Here's Stephen A. Smith's, you know, 10 things to look for tonight. Like, people are blowing this out of proportion because it's all we have. We love appointment TV. We don't want to admit it. We like to talk about how much we hate appointment TV. Oh, I watch when I want, whenever I want. I, I can't be held down. Well, actually, we like it. It's social. We're social creatures. Game of Thrones is an incredible example. It was a social phenomenon. Season eight last year. And season eight, by most people's account, was terrible but we all love to sit down and watch it together and talk about it the next day. Let's admit it. We like appointment TV. Let's let's embrace that. Get back to the old ways. I'm not saying we got to get rabbit ears and watch broadcast TV exclusively, but let's take the time. When sports comes back, let's appreciate what we have in appointment TV because it's it's dire right now. Everybody's just off in their own world doing their own thing, and we have nothing to talk about. Got to start a book club. Uh, speaking of talking, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. We're going to talk about baseball coming up next. We're actually getting close. And I feel like we've said that a couple of times. I actually mean it this time. I mean it. We might actually seriously be talking about real baseball games being played within the next two months. Let's talk about that coming up next. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. you trade Jay Buna for? <laughs> he had 30 home runs over 100 RBIs last year. He's got a rocket for an arm. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Rest in peace to Jerry Stiller, Frank Costanza. As if we're talking about baseball, I had to bring that clip out. So rest in peace to Jerry Stiller, who passed away earlier today. I know Bill Michaels and, and Joe Zanzola, two huge Seinfeld fans, were talking about that and paying tribute earlier today. You can check out their show. 11 to 2 every day here on WKTY. I, I'm I'm excited to hopefully have some live sports back within the next couple of months. We we all know this is going to be a long road and it's going to take time. 
But this is the first Wisco Sports Show in about six or seven weeks. I've been off. I've been doing politics, doing other things as we try to stay socially distant at the workplace and and keep all of the non-essential people like myself stuck at home without a microphone in their hand. I'm hoping to have live sports to talk about within the next couple of months. I understand it's not going to be days. It's not going to be weeks. It's going to be months. It looks like our best hope at the time is baseball. And maybe you're like me, and over the last couple of weeks, you just kind of turned you kind of turned tone deaf because every day it, it seems like somebody is trying to claim that, well, we're getting close. Whether it's Ken Rosenthal or Adam Schefter, Adrian Wojnarowski, whoever, one of these big talking heads, these reporters that break news for their respective leagues. It seems like the last couple of weeks, every other day, somebody's tweeting, man, this is big news. This is big news. I, I don't know where that accent's coming from, but this, this is big news. Major League Baseball could, could be back in short order, or the NBA owners are getting close. Once again, I don't, I don't know where the accent came from. It's probably because of the Seinfeld clip. And it never turned out to be true. Like, baseball is not close to coming back. The NBA, the NBA is screwed. The leagues that have it easiest, in order of ease. The NFL's got it best, because they have the luxury of just wrapping up their season, and then the coronavirus hits. Then it's Major League Baseball, then the NBA. I don't think the NBA is going to come back, and we'll talk about later. Talk about that later this week. I want to focus on the positive today, and that's the MLB. They may actually be getting close. And I was surprised because I've been so used to, like, not fake news, but people trying to make something out of nothing. Like, oh, Adam Silver had a phone call with the president today. That must mean games are starting Friday. It's like, well, no, no, sorry. But Jeff Passan tweeted this morning, or I guess this afternoon, and it perked my interest, and I'm like, okay, this might be legit. The MLB owners have approved a proposal to present to players, as Ken Rosenthal reported. They plan to meet tomorrow and discuss it. Now is actually when it starts to get serious, and we'll know soon if baseball is actually coming back in 2020. That was the message from Jeff Passan earlier today from ESPN. It sounds like it's legit. Multiple reporters are talking about this proposal, and now we have some details. So here is what we know. This is what we absolutely know. Let's start with the draft, because that's going to happen before the season starts. The draft is going to happen on June 10th, and it's going to be five rounds. It's normally 40, which I didn't know off the top of my head. I just know there's a lot. But five rounds out of 40 seems a little bit like, to use a political example of my time over at WIZM, seems a little bit like Milwaukee having, what was it, five polling places instead of 80? Like, it's an absurd reduction. It's not a slight cut. It's an absurd reduction. Now, clubs will be allowed to essentially sign an unlimited number of undrafted free agents, They would have been drafted, but this year they won't be. They'll be signed, and the max bonus to sign players to is $20,000. This way, Major League Baseball, per brand, on brand, is allowing clubs to basically spend as much money as they want to sign as many players as they want, or not. Save money. Don't sign anyone. We don't care. That's kind of the baseball way. The draft is going to be shortened. The season, obviously, will also be shortened. What we're looking at right now is about 80 games, starting on July 1st with a short spring training, an abbreviated spring training, beforehand. Ken Rosenthal in his report for The Athletic said, well, it might not be 80. It could be 78 or 82. And I'm like, okay, okay, Ken, calm like, calm down. About 80. That's fine for now. 80 games. New divisions. We know they're going to restructure things. The AL and the, NA, uh, the NL will combine regionally. So the NL West and the AL West, they'll be together. AL Central and NL Central will combine together. So let's see if I can do it off the top of my head. Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals, Red Pirates will also be in the same division as the Twins, the White Sox, the Indians, the Tigers, and the Royals, which will be great for the Brewers because they can beat up on the Twins' terrible, awful, stinky division. It sucks for the Twins because they actually have to play some real teams. 
But that would like that's what we kind of predicted would happen. We'll get regional. We'll do big divisions. And it will help some teams like the Brewers. And as far as I'm concerned, that's really going to screw over the Twins because they'll actually have to play real competition instead of the Tigers and the Royals, you know, 20 times a year. Anyways, locale. Let's talk about that. It sounds like they're going to open as many home parks as possible, even possibly New York. This is the one thing that early reporting by Rosenthal and Passan wasn't real clear on. And that's understandable because we're looking at a start date of July 1st. We don't know what the situation is going to be like in New York on July 1st. Just like we don't know what it'll be like in Chicago and Milwaukee. That's going to probably continue to change and evolve as we go. You got to have a start date figured out. You got to have salary and divisions and playoff format. You can go as we go. You can figure it out as we go with locale. It just depends on what the coronavirus is doing at the moment. We don't really know. And we're more than a month away. So I like we have time. I'm not hanging up on figuring out where they're going to play these games. There's a lot of ballparks. They'll figure out a place to play them. The new playoff format will include seven teams from each league, three division winners, and four wild cards. Which to me is weird because the wild card is the add-on. That's the extra. The idea of having more wild cards than division winners seems backwards to me. But this year, it's it's the way it's going to have to work. Because they need to give enough teams a shot to get into the playoffs for making up for only having 80 games. A smaller sample size will lead to less accurate results. You still want the best teams in the playoffs, so you expand the playoffs. It makes sense. Seven teams... Three division winners and four wild cards per league. So in the first round, uh, one division winner would get a bye. Two division winners and two wild cards would match up. And then you'd actually have a matchup of two wild card teams, which seems really odd. Once again, you shouldn't have more wild cards than division winners, but I understand the circumstances. That's the new playoff format. That's all great. It'll be awesome. I think it'll. Be, I think there's some novelty to it. There will be no other sports on this summer. And we are starved of sports, so we're going to watch. There's not going to be fans in the stands. We'll get over it real quick because it'll be something. I think there's variety. We're going to get Brewers versus Twins more so than we normally would. Or we're going to get Brewers versus Tigers or Brewers versus the Royals, which I can't wait because those are a bunch of free wins. The Twins will have to deal with some actual good teams. Like I said, can you sell? I'm I'm already trying to play this rivalry up. I'm already trying to get people stirred up for Twins Brewers this summer. It's going to be fun. And there's going to be urgency. 80 games may seem like a lot. And in the scope of the NFL or college football, it is a lot of games. But think about this. If you cut the NFL from 16 games to eight, that, that's a, a, a massive difference. If you cut the NBA season from 82 games to 41, 41 is still a good chunk of games, but that, I mean, that changes everything. The season is way different. 80 games may seem like a lot. It's not. And the urgency is going to be sky high. Every game will mean so much. Because if you lose 7 out of 10 games, that could screw your season right there. Because you only have 80 total. You can't you can't just piss away a certain stretch of them like you might be able to if you were playing 162. And for the Milwaukee Brewers and Craig Council, I think this works great. Like I said, they get some softer competition. They absorb that from the AL Central. The Sox might be pretty good. They added some talent. And the Twins are a really good team. But then they get to beat up on the Royals and the Tigers. And we'll see how Cleveland is. It's great for the Brewers, and it's great for Craig Council because they're going to have 40-man rosters all season. Craig Council's going to be flexible. He's going to have options, which is great because I I don't know what their starting rotation is going to look like. Nobody knows because we didn't have spring training. So it's going to be an advantage to all teams to have a 40-man roster. I think even more so to Craig Council, who's shown the last couple of years that if you give him extra players, he will make them count. He will use every player on that roster. So let's see. We figured out the draft the length of the season, the new divisions, where these games are going to be played, or at least a contingency plan to see where the games will be played because we don't know all the details yet. New playoff format, we know it all. There's two things they are going to hold this up. 
two things. And the players have some legit hesitation. We're talking about salary and we're talking about safety. And those are the two questions that continue to be the most difficult ones to answer. We'll talk about that. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show and keep talking baseball coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're doing well. You had a good Mother's Day weekend. It was a little bit bummy outside. Normally, we'd spend Mother's Day... I'm speaking about myself here. Normally, I'd spend Mother's Day with my extended family, probably out on a patio somewhere, maybe a ham. Somebody's grilling a chicken. I don't know. There's meat involved, obviously. It smells great. It's springtime. A little bit of a bummer yesterday, not being able to, to get together with family. Not being able to to be outside because it was bummy outside. I called my mom. felt a, I felt a little felt a little bit bad. All I could give her was a phone call and a text and a card. But we're all uh, we're all kind of trying to stick our best through these times where we can't really see our family. And my mom's listening, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, whatever. You could have driven up here to see me." And I'm sorry, mom. Happy Mother's Day. We're talking about baseball, by the way. This is not my. Uh, you guys aren't my therapist. We're we're talking baseball, and they're actually they're like they're actually getting close. We have a concrete plan. It's going to be talked about tomorrow with players in the union and the owners to resume play, or I guess not resume, but begin play on July 1st to have an 80 game season with expanded rosters and an expanded playoff and expanded divisions to make the season seem as normal as possible. Because what we don't want to do is have a champion and have everybody go, well, yeah, but does it really count? So the MLB wants to make sure all the good teams get into the playoffs by expanding that window. They want to make sure all the teams have a 40-man roster at their disposal to make up for missing camp and not really knowing exactly which players on their team are going to be heavy contributors. Because you only have 80 games to figure it out as opposed to 162. I get it. But there's two hanging points. And they are hanging points that I don't think most people are taking seriously enough. Like Like this could prevent us from having baseball this summer. We've been brainstorming ways to make this work for for months, right? We've been talking, well, we could add divisions together, span roster, shorten the season. We've been all over that. We've been talking about that, and baseball has been doing the exact same thing. But there's two things that we can't make work, and these are not exclusive to sports. Safety and money. Two things we can't figure out, and that's hurting businesses, and sports are, like everything else, a business. Let's start with safety. Because salary, in the case of baseball, is actually a bigger deal, surprisingly enough. So safety, players, they actually sound pretty trusting on this one. They actually sound pretty agreeable. The Athletic did a a fascinating piece, and all these pieces have been different because they can't talk about physical games, right? They have to talk about something else. But the Athletic did a sit-down interview, and Ken Rosenthal did, with a couple of players in Major League Baseball, all of which are immunocompromised in one way or higher risk to coronavirus in one way or another. They talked about uh, Rockies outfielder David Dahl, who has no spleen, so he's a lot more susceptible. They talked to a couple of type 1 diabetics, Scott Alexander, Adam Duvall, Jordan Hicks of the Cardinals. Talked to them. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, who went underwent, uh, and Ken- Kenley Jansen, who have all uh, either uh, went against cancer or had a heart procedure of, of some type. They talked to a lot of different players who are immunocompromised or high risk in one way or another, and they all said the same thing. You know, I listen to the people around me. I listen to the league. I listen to the medical people, and they all... Say proceed. It said, we're good. It sounds like we're protected. We've gotten this figured out. And they actually sound pretty agreeable, which I'm like, wow, wow. I understand they want to get back because they want to play and they want to make money. Just like we all want to get back to our jobs at full capacity and want to get back to making money and, and living life normally again. So I guess it shouldn't be a surprise 
But I thought the hanging point for sports would be safety, not necessarily salary. I would describe the players who, whose interviews I've read, they're cautiously confident. They want to make sure their questions are answered and they want their concerns addressed. But they're excited to play, which I guess makes sense when you take it all into account. There are other players, like, players are really taking this seriously. Players are really taking this seriously. Sean Doolittle, the closer for the reigning World Series championships, tweeted earlier, Bear with me, but it feels like we've zoomed past the most important aspect of any MLB restart plan. Health protections for players, families, staff, stadium workers, and the workforce it would require to resume a season. And he has a long thread about all of his concerns. Very outspoken, saying, wait, 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 wait. Phil Hughes, former Twins pitcher, tweeted earlier today, I know everyone wants baseball back this year, but we will not be strong-armed into unsafe work conditions and unfair compensation. So this seems like a grand slam, pardon the baseball pun. This seems like a grand slam to us because we can get sports back. We can get life on track to being normal again starting in July. Hell yeah, sign me up. And we would just assume that baseball and the players of Major League Baseball would just get in line with that. But not so much. And I don't think safety is the concern. This is about money. And this is going to be the hanging point, and we'll learn a lot more tomorrow when this is first discussed and negotiated for the first time. Major League Baseball wants to change the pay structure. And back in March, they agreed with the players to prorate salaries. Meaning, hey guys, you're you're not going to play a full season. We can't pay you for a full season. And the players said, okay, fine. Fine. And they signed off. Now Major League Baseball wants to change the game again. And instead of prorating salaries based on games or performance or anything like that, they just want to do 50-50. Players get 50% of the league revenue in 2020 instead of of the salary structure that's still in place, excuse me, instead of the salary structure that's still in place. And players hate this, and agents hate this a lot. And the league has been very clear, this is a one-time arrangement, this is a special circumstance this year, this is not a salary cap, this is an adjustment we're making this year, because there are no fans. And while books to teams aren't public, and they're not going to make them public by what I've read anytime soon, they have been very clear and very honest. When there are no fans in seats, they make no money. And when they make no money, the players can't get paid. One league official said this, We lose money on every single game without fans. We have to propose that they take something less than they already negotiated. We thought the most persuasive way to make that proposal was to explain, here's what we're going to make in revenue, and we'll split it with you, and here's how it turns into players' salaries. So it's ne- there's no limit on the salary. If baseball blows up and they make a ton of money, then the players still get 50% where the players are going to get a 50% cut of all the revenue. But the, but the agents hate this, the players hate this, because it's a salary cap, and it caps their value. Kind of. I don't look at it that way, but it's not my livelihood on the line. It is for these players. Apparently, according to sources close to the situation, because that's all we have in the industry, 40% of the league's overall revenue is gate or gate-related while 51% of local revenue is gate or gate-related. I have to think that local revenue is higher than 51%. I cannot imagine the Brewers' overall profits for one year being 50% Fox Sports Wisconsin and 50% local revenue. I can't, I can't imagine that's the case. It has to be more. But the idea that 40 to 50% of revenue is based on fans in seats, that's a lot of revenue. And the league has to make that up somehow. And there's only so many options on how to do that. 
And I understand. The players don't want a salary cap. They don't want anything close to a salary cap. And they're not down for this idea. In fact, Ken Rosenthal called it a non-starter. This won't go anywhere until the league changes their stance. Bill Michaels today, I listened at 10 o'clock. He was a little bit on his soapbox saying that the players are doing this in bad taste. And from his perspective and from, I'm sure, many people's perspective, it is in bad taste because many people are out of work right now and trying to make ends meet and really, really struggling and failing. This may be in bad taste and it might be a bad time for us, but for the players, this is a great time to make a stink about something like this. What's the number one rule of negotiation? Well, actually, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in negotiation, but what's a big what's a big part of negotiation? Leverage. You have to have leverage. And the players right now are saying, hmm, NBA's not coming back. We got until August, until the NFL rolls around. Man, does the commit man do Rob Manfred and these owners want to get a product on the field? They're gonna lose so much money. And if they come back right now, they're the only thing on TV. The only thing. And the players know it. And the players are gonna get what they want. That will be the takeaway come tomorrow afternoon. That's what we'll be talking about tomorrow night is how the players got what they want, either by extending these negotiations or declining this offer outright. It's a non-starter, many people are saying, and I can't wait to see how it goes tomorrow. Tomorrow, we are going to get into the Packers. We're going to continue to talk about baseball, and we're going to talk about a fun segment that I can't wait to unveil on Wednesday. A lot of fun stuff coming up on the Wisco Sports Show. Glad to be back. Thanks for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you then.